0: Death. 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 Death is a
1: penalty. Welcome. This is All the Fuckin', a podcast from two entrepreneurs about showing up for social justice in your work. This isn't your typical capitalist-focused entrepreneurial business podcast. There are already plenty of those. We're here because we've been craving voices rooted in activism, justice, and integrity with those values.
2: These are conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship, but from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful in our work. This won't be a place where we claim to have all the answers. Our intention is to offer guidance and support while also encouraging our listeners to discover and live into more questions. We believe these conversations require ongoing practice and a consistent dedication to unlearning.
1: If you're ready to go all the fuck in on what matters most while creating an abundant life, you're in the right place.
2: And a quick note on our content, we believe self-care is radical and non-negotiable in the work of both justice and entrepreneurship. So some of these conversations include mention of trauma, both from a systemic and often racialized perspective and in relationship to experiences like sexual violence. We hope you do what you need to take care of yourself while listening, even if that means pausing and returning to an episode at another time or skipping it altogether.
1: Hi, everyone. It's good to be back. This is Tristan speaking. I use they, them pronouns.
2: This is Lauren. I use she, her pronouns. And we're here today with Anjali Rao,
1: which is really exciting. And Before we pressed record, I was like, I'm just glad to spend some time talking with you, Anjali. Like, We can record it? Sure. (laughs) Anjali, would you like to introduce yourself and share your name and pronouns, um, your social location, and any astrology that you're aware of?
0: Yes, absolutely. I'm
1: so happy to be
0: here with you, Tristan and uh, Lauren. My uh, pronouns are she, her, hers. And I, um, I'm Anjali Rao. My, my sun sign or astrological sign is a uh, Virgo. And I was just telling Tristan and Lauren that I'm terribly inept at astrology. So um, that's the extent of my astrological knowledge.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and your social location, any identities that oh, are yeah. relevant? So I am
0: an Indian American First-generation immigrant. Uh, I am a heterosexual, cisgendered um, woman, cancer survivor, uh, a yoga teacher with economic and educational privilege. Um, so that's that's my social
1: location. Mm, thank you. Yeah, I've you know I haven't had a chance to talk to you about being a cancer survivor, but I know it is a core part of what you bring in to who you are in this moment. Of course, I would love to to hear some about that if you're willing to share also in the context of like, how did you get to do the work that what, first of all, why don't you tell for folks who don't know you and your work, tell us what you do currently and how you got here in this moment doing the work that you do.
0: Well, the story uh, is basically that cancer brought me to yoga. I was 37 years old. Uh, when my first mammogram revealed that I had microcalcifications, which is the signs of early stage, which can be the sign of early stage breast cancer. And at that time I was just doing it because my gynecologist was like, just go get it done because you may have family history. I wasn't sure uh, because I, I come from India where some of the records are not really well kept off of my parents' generation. Mm-hmm. So my first uh, mammogram revealed that, and uh, I took the radical decision at that time, which was around 10 years ago. So I'm 10 years cancer-free.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, 10 years ago that uh, I would do a bilateral mastectomy, which is kind of a radical decision because uh, it was early stage breast cancer, but I had two young children and I was only 37. So I thought I did not want, you know, the, the scepter of cancer to be hanging over my head. And um, I know there are many people who do, make different decisions, but for me, I, that felt right at that time. Um, and I did an immediate reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sort of brought me to yoga because uh, asana actually. And my first class, I knew that something had shifted. Like physically, I felt a connection with my body, and which I had, which almost a lot of cancer survivors say that they sort of disconnect from the body because it, there's a sense of betrayal. Yeah. So the first session, I was like, there is something here. What is this thing? And of course, I'm from India. I've practiced yoga, yoga asana before, but I never really liked it. I thought it was kind of boring. Uh, I, I'm an Indian classical dancer, so I've always had that sort of movement uh, practice in me, in you know, uh, as a part of my heritage. And um, when I I went to my teacher and I said, whatever this is, I want to share this with people who are going through cancer because I know this is going to be helpful. And I I think this is going to change not only my life, but people who can practice this after cancer uh, treatment. And she's like, why don't you come to the second class? And then we'll (laughs) take it from there. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I want to teach this. (laughs) I finished my second uh, 200 hours and then I got to meet my, uh, mentor, teacher, friend uh, who taught uh, and teaches people for you know cancer at Stanford. So I went and uh, did an in, internship with her at uh, the Stanford Cancer Care Program. Then I got into 300 hours and I started teaching people with cancer. And the more I got to teach and share and learn, basically, uh, and connect and talk with people, I realized that I come from a big place of privilege because I have insurance. I have um, you know, I can take time off and uh, really look after myself and look after my children, et cetera, et cetera. And I saw that so many people were going to work because they had to go to work to pay the bills and insurance. Um, and I, and it was just like, what can I do to help or serve this? Because uh, I felt this great calling to, you know, make my life. Uh, I had got a second lease at life and I wanted mm-hmm. to make my life meaningful. And that's what, that's what a lot of people going through something that traumatic can look at grief or trauma once they feel that they have some sort of healing from it and see where we can draw meaning and be of service. Um, so that sort of got me into politics quote unquote, the political leaning, uh, which I always had, I was always a questioner, I was always sort of uh, a rebel in many ways and never really accepted anybody's words for what, you know, at their face value, I always wanted to dig in deeper. So uh, I got to uh, work with uh, people who are going through cancer at like, from a nonprofit perspective, I'm, I'm part of the board of directors that go, that serves, People with cancer, regardless of financial or gender uh, backgrounds, a um, local grassroots one because that's where I've always thought change actually happens at the grassroots level, at the individual level. And uh, I got into politics, and then you know Trump happened, mm-hmm. and uh, Trump changed. I think many of our lives because I looked at how deeply. Uh, divisive and racist the country actually was. Uh, I think I was living in a bubble uh, of, of, uh, you know, being a legal immigrant. Uh, I I saw and I connected with many people who did not have that sort of privilege of uh, legalization. Um, And I got into campaigning and working with uh, different sort of campaigning uh, groups around here. To help people uh, get out the vote, for example, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. I've always been part of like various nonprofits here in, in uh, uh, California, in the in uh, Northern California Bay Area specifically. So uh, working with people who are going through intimate partner violence, uh, so that has always been a part of my background, you can say. Um, so I, but I did not at that time. I did not really understand how to connect what I was studying in yoga and to something that I was doing off the mat in the, in the real world, quote unquote. So I did not get that connection until very recently, like maybe three, two, three years ago. And the more I studied, I realized that there was a lot of uh, textual information and historical precedents for activism and change-making in the, in the text through history. So that sort of got me getting into uh, into the connections between yoga and activism, yoga and justice, et cetera. So that's what I do right now. I also realized that there is the, the text, the practice of yoga itself is deeply problematic. Um, that there was so much of oppression that has been perpetuated through centuries, as well as what's going on in terms of who gets access to modern yoga spaces. So um, my work in the world, I think, is to uh, really learn to disrupt or rather not learn or, or share how to disrupt systems of oppression perpetuated through yoga, because once you start doing that, then you start taking it off and say, where else, um, where else do I see power and privilege play out and uh, within me and outside me? And how do I leverage that if I am of a person of privilege or if I am? of a person of um, a marginalized identity, how do I call in other people? How do I work with other people? And, um, you know, uh, make small ripples of change because we cannot change the whole world, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> but we can change the world within and we can change the world around by having brave conversations uh, with each other. So. That's what I do. I, I I consider myself a yoga student first and always, um, a yoga educator. You can say uh, bringing in marginalized stories uh, and uh, working with the texts, ancient texts, which have uh, you know deep wisdom about the human experience uh, and the potential of the human being to. Um, to overcome great difficulty and challenges.
1: Mm.
0: That's a long answer.
1: It's it's. I mean, uh, anytime somebody's asked what their background and story is, it's going to be a long answer, and it's <laughs> usually like really juicy. So thank you for sharing, Lauren. I feel like you're going to have a follow up question.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, at first, I love that you describe yourself as a student first of yoga, but I also think that can apply to the work of justice and social change because. I mean, and I don't want to name that for you. Maybe that's not your experience, but I know for me with any privileged identities, like I'm going to be constantly having to learn and unlearn stuff. Um, So that's such a helpful like reminder for me to, to recommit to that. Um, but I'm also just curious, um, before you got into yoga and kind of made this now your career, what were you up to before your diagnosis? And when did you move here and all of that?
0: Yeah. Well, my undergrad is, uh, believe it or not, in microbiology. Um, (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Like, of course. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) But I did my, when I came here, I moved here, I did my master's in communication. I always, always was interested in, in people, in connecting with people and understanding why people are the way they are like a little bit of psychology there but also how do we connect with people and uh what makes a connection work versus what makes a connection just not work right Mm. so that was like one of my thesis was that in and also understanding that we are diverse we are all very unique uniquely placed and um with unique experiences and backgrounds and each of that has value um so my, my thesis was in intercultural communication and adult learning because we learn differently as adults rather than children. And I started working in the corporate world, which was a terrible fit. Um, I was like always knocking down doors and saying, but this is bullshit, <laughs> this is wrong. And so they were like, okay, this is not a good thing for you. Um, so I was working in, in the corporate world as an intercultural trainer. And I I did that also as an, like a freelancer, I worked at like different agents, like, you know, uh, organizations um, talking about uh, intercultural management, how do you manage, how do you work with people from different cultures all over the world? And this, this was when, you know, the whole globalization thing was just sort of taking off, which was in the mid nineties. Um, so I continued doing that cons- consulting kind of work. Um, i enjoyed that it was fun because this i got to see these in because i i live in the bay area which is like this tech hub um so i got to see these engineers who are very like you know data oriented and all that's so really breakthrough with like talking about people and how do you you know how do you connect with people and this is my problem with this person and what do you think it's it is so really got into the whole um <clears throat> The human side of uh, of an organization. So that was what I was doing before I got diagnosed. And I, I bring in that element too because we are that, that is so relevant to the work that I'm doing. And uh, we realize that all social movements or cultural movements are actually based on uh, wisdom or tenets or concepts which were built long ago. I mean, none of us are recreating or creating a whole thing here. We're all we're all working on something that we have studied from our past. So, yeah. really connecting history to the present mo- moment is really important because we can a learn from so much of what has been shared. Also, the mistakes what people have made. Um, yes. Yeah. So don't recreate that. Uh, so that that's what I that's what I used to do. Mm.
2: That, I mean, and that makes perfect sense to me. Also, I definitely cannot see you in the corporate world. So. <laughs> I, could, I would imagine uh, you were very disruptive even in those roles. Yeah, <laughs> I <It> was. <laughs> and and the fact that communications was your thing and across these lines of difference, like that, that is so relevant to what you're doing now. So I I love hearing even when people, it, even with even when someone's story like yours feels like there was a pivot and there totally was, but it, like all those lines I'm seeing go all the way through. So thank you for sharing that. That's really beautiful. Of
0: course. And Lauren, you know, I mean, it's making sense to me right now, as I say it, but it did not make sense when I was living it because right. I didn't realize how yoga is connected to uh, activism or how culture and uh, yoga, uh, the, you know, the whole, mm, the work that I was doing was connected to uh, yoga education. Like I just, those connections I'm just making as I teach also, because as you teach, you really make those connections, right? Um, that's why I say I'm always a student because when I teach, I really learn a lot.
2: Mm, Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. We could say that
0: forever. forever.
1: It's (laughs) so true. I I wonder if you could speak more to the connection between yoga and activism or yoga and justice. And I I say this because I'm aware that there is a conversation happening on the internet, (laughs) Um, which means it's happening off the internet too, about whether yoga is social justice or how yoga invites us into social justice and I even had a friend who's who's not um a student of yoga but has taken some yoga classes and so ultimately only understands on some level yoga through the lens of a physical practice because that's what's been presented to us in this country um, and in the west in general um, and she said to me when I first started my work, she was like, I don't understand why yoga and social justice, like ha- how, like, and I was like, well, there are these teachings and it's an eightfold path. And, you know, but I wonder if you could speak Anjali about, about that inquiry and, and how you speak to it too, in the work that you do for folks yeah. who are new to the conversation.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I know why you're asking me that, Tristan, because I <clears throat> there are all these conversations of, Uh, debate about the connection. And I think debate is really healthy as long as it's respectful and and, uh, really inclusive of all opinions, which sometimes it can get like just too divisive and then you realize, okay, it's not a good use of my time. Um, So yoga and social justice and how they're related. Well, in many, many ways, but uh, but, uh, whether, so I might be one of the people who say yoga is social justice and beyond. It's not, so there is, it, you don't stop at that. There is more to yoga than social justice. Um, so I understand the criticism about why people don't think that yoga is social justice and is a full stop. There is no full stop. There is more to that. Uh, it's again, all of these are very personal definitions or personal working relationships with, uh, with the concepts, right? So I, I am also open to hearing people who disagree with me and that's healthy. Um, so, how is yoga related to social justice? This, the concept and the premise of yoga comes from this uh, philosophy, uh, which is a very ancient philosophy, which is related to what we call as Samkhya philosophy, where there is nature, there's mind and matter, there's spirit and matter. You know, we are all manifestations of the spirit. And thus, we are deeply interconnected because we are all essentially, potentially divine. But we just don't know. We are ignorant of our connection with the divine. So which means that we're all interconnected and interdependent beings. Um, and so if we are interconnected and interdependent beings, then how is it that there is the separation, that there is also this diversity and uniqueness uh, with all our backgrounds and social locations, et cetera? Right? so yoga is something which will ex- which can and is expansive in taking in all these differences with the notion that we are also interconnected so there is it's a all and it's not yes but or you know um, and and so it has sort of evolved so the eight limbed path came much after that and the eight limbed path as many people already know has a code of ethics, a code uh, uh, regulating behavior for our own, beha- you know, um, uh, the way we move in the world around us, um, the yamas and the niyamas, etc. So those tell us that we are uh, responsible and accountable to each other um, in, in the ways we show up in the world around us. And the Bhagavad Gita, for example, talks about dharma a lot. Um, it is a central the central question in Bhagavad Gita is, how do we show up in the world? Yeah. How are we good people? And it's a very uh, complex question, actually, because uh, depending on who you are, the answer changes. Uh, so you can say the Bhagavad Gita is the earliest text that talks about social location. Um, <laughs> because the way I am as a brown person, my, my uh, social location, my dharma, which is the right action to take, uh, or the duty or the obligation that I have to the world around me is different than you as a white person. Mm-hmm. Me as a cisgendered person, I have a separate dharma to you as a, a, a person of uh, a trans or a queer identity. So we have to, uh, and we are constantly moving in and out of a certain situation where we access different parts of ourselves, right, in a, in a particular context. So in that sense, the concepts that are embedded in the texts, which were ancient, always talk about our responsibilities, our dharma, our social location through, through whichever like big texts that we're talking about your Yoga Sutras and the Bhagavad Gita, for example. So philosophically, there is that whole premise. Um, and it has changed through centuries because of the cultural, social context that we are in. Um, the Bhagavad Gita talks about a person who is a warrior needs to fight the war. Uh, a person who is a, a, a householder needs to provide and be a part of the community because they're interacting with that. So that's that's the part of one part of the you know the activism community relationship angle. Um, in the, in the yoga sutras, for example, it's a lot of asceticism that is in, that is associated with yoga. So we are toward, going toward liberation. So that's why I said yoga is not just social justice. Yoga is beyond social justice. Uh, all, but you have to go through it. You're not bypassing it. You're not saying we're all love and light and all, you know, let's hold hands and sing together. But we are saying that we have to look at our surroundings and our circumstances with discernment and see what we can do or we can't do and um and then make those changes within ourselves learn and unlearn unravel our own biases our own assumptions and then go toward the next stage in our lives which is probably connecting more with the divine and you know our more spiritual um sort of inclinations which we all have inside us and it doesn't happen in this linear way we are doing all of that at the same time almost right I mean we are having all these deep conversations and questions and at the same time we are paying our taxes (laughs) you know (laughs) so figuring out how we are going to buy or not buy certain things that's a big part of social change is where do we buy our uh Milk, or do we drink milk? You know, so those questions are being uh, we are we are asking um, ourselves, and then making those changes which seem authentic and appropriate and sustainable. I mean, it's not like today I get up and I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this, and then, to, um, and I'm not saying that's wrong. That's also very human, but that that's probably not making a de- making a big difference. It's probably you're just experimenting, and that's okay too. Uh, we make mistakes, and that's okay too. So we are all a part of the human great human experiment, experiment, I think. Mm. Um, So, yeah. Mm.
2: Mm. I I really appreciate that you noted that that is not a linear process, because I know that for me, when I was a new yoga teacher and a relatively new yoga student, maybe at this point, like 10 years ago, I was so attached to wanting a capital A answer of how to do the path of yoga right? And how do I apply that to my work and social? Like, I just wanted an answer. So I really appreciate you bringing in that messiness. Like, we are humans, yeah. Yeah.
0: Of course. I mean, we cannot be, we cannot do this perfectly. There is no perfection. Uh, Perfection itself is like such a, uh, sort of a white supremacy value. So um, (laughs) we are messy and uh, we acknowledge that messiness, we show compassion for ourselves during our messy moments, or, or you know, like I was telling Tristan, like today, I, I didn't sleep Yes, last night, I didn't sleep well, so what do I do? I put my, like a red shawl and perk myself up. <laughs> now, does it take away the fact that I did not sleep well? No, it doesn't, but you but you're just trying to, make yourself better in that moment um, so in the, in the same way you acknowledge the messiness of life and of your of your personality your circumstances your background and uh, you know hold yourself with with uh, accountability but also compassion
2: right because it's very easy to lean really far into accountability especially if I, 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 I would argue for people who have marginalized identities where we're told, for our whole lives like there's something wrong with us rather than there being something wrong with the system Mm -hmm. um so i yeah i just i'm really grateful to you for bringing that into the conversation because i know a lot of our listeners (laughs) are asking these questions too
1: yeah. I really love I had like one of those like mind-blowing moments where it was like, oh, the Bhagavad Gita is talking about social location. What? Like, like, yes, of course. Now that you say it, I'm like, oh yes, but I'm sure there are people out there who would argue against that, Anjali. Like, I, 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 can you speak to that? Like, or maybe, you know, you don't want to, but oh, I, no, I no. okay. No,
0: I, I mean, I was just told the other day, um, I'm just going to say it. I was just told the other day that somebody is having a, this whole conversation about me and the work that I do uh, in a critical way. Um, and first of all, I did not know I was famous enough to be talked about, but I guess- Congratulations.
2: I am say, that means you're making an impact.
0: Yeah, but, uh, but in all seriousness, I think debates are good. I think criticism is good. It'll hold you accountable to your own motivation. Um, and uh, to people who don't believe that this connection exists i say dig deeper and also look into your own points of privilege uh yeah, people who are doing this having this conversation from what i know uh, have privilege mm-hmm. so that's why they can make those conversations you know and sort of separate themselves from what's happening uh, i couldn't none of not many of us can could look away after george floyd and um, for me, that was one of the biggest moments that I was like, oh my god, what the fuck was that? And and, and then it made me dig into all the other stuff. So um, so yeah, I mean, for people who d- don't get the connection, I say I, I understand, but also go into your own self-awareness and uh, discernment and check where you are coming from. Are you coming from a place of privilege? Are you getting ac- Are you having access to a yoga space? Who comes into your yoga classes? Uh, Who is left out, and why? Mm, yeah, you know um, that will probably give you any in, uh, uh, some information. And if if you still think that it doesn't, uh, you know, connect for you, that's that's okay too. Mm,
1: yeah,
2: mm. you're reminding me of um, I had a conversation with a family member in the summer of 2020, and obviously this is a white person, um, and she was expressing, you know. Um, something about like, sorry, I feel like I'm not uh, being very articulate. Basically, she's like, I am on board with um, racial equity and change, but I don't feel comfortable saying Black Lives Matter because it's going to trigger my coworkers or whatever, right? Obviously, that's a very privileged place to come from. And what you're saying is reminding me, like, in that moment, the question that came to mind to ask her was, well, where did you learn what you're thinking about this and where your feelings are coming from. Like, where did you learn that? And she went, well, from me. And I think a lot of folks don't have, Mm -hmm. um, and I should maybe white folks, at least when we're talking about race, don't have the knowledge or skills yet, unless they've sought it out to realize that we've been conditioned. Like that that line of thinking is not, that's not coming from your inner knowing. So I appreciate that you just said like, dig deeper. Like, where is that actually coming from? Where are you coming from in that conversation? Um, and I'm wondering, cause I, you know, I, I, don't know as much about your work as Tristan does, cause you two have worked together for a while, but I know you do workshops and I'm guessing, do you work with teacher trainings and present that way too? So what, what is that experience like for you as a person with all of your identities to be talking about these concepts in this work?
0: Yeah, that I, I think I found my calling, um, uh, uh, really later, much a little bit later in my life. I wish I had many ways found this you know 10 years ago but probably I wasn't ready then um I do work bringing in all these concepts it's like a big story with many little stories about the connections that yoga has to social change because I really think that in the world that we're living right now with with the environmental disasters and the pandemic and just the inequities that are so deep uh, in any part of the world, not just the U.S. In any part of the world, that we are, that we are, you know, just open the, op- click a link and you know that there is something in some part of the world that is not okay. Yeah. That this is important to talk about. That we are in a in a place in time that we have to make those changes uh, in the way we consume and what we consume, especially. So um, that's the work that I do right now is is help make those connections for people who, ha- who are also gonna be powerful. I mean, I think yoga teachers have that power in shaping and guiding or, or a person's physical, emotional, mental, spiritual self, or, or at least it should. It should not be only physical asana. Yeah. Um, So that's what I try to do. I try to sort of spark that curiosity of how these things are related so that they see how it impacts a person on the mat and also how they they are off the mat as well. Um, So yeah, Mm. storytelling is huge in what what I do. I bring in people because I realize that, for example, the Bhagavad Gita has been shared uh, and I, I have studied it because I had caste privilege back in India. Hmm. um so i i understand that privilege but also i was i was a i am a woman uh and women it was in such a patriarchal culture was n- not very um i mean i i probably now in the modern india maybe i would be able to do this but 10 years ago 15 20 years ago there were not many women talking about the bhagavad gita because it was a very male dominated Brahminical um uh, you know, sort of a stronghold about, of, of these texts. So in so many ways, whenever I share about these texts, I do acknowledge A, my privilege, but also that we are in so many ways disrupting yeah. patriarchy that was a big part of yoga philosophy and yoga practice through, through you know, thousands of years that patriarchy was was and is such a big part of it. And we are disrupting that just by studying that, talking about it and connecting to it in the modern world.
2: Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Naming all those things that we're taught not to talk about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm also curious, Tristan, if it's okay for me to keep keep going. I have so many questions. Um, I'm also wondering just like in this process of now coming to yoga as a student and now holding the space as an educator that you do, what have you learned about yourself Mm-hmm. Over that time. That might be a hard question. <laughs> no, that's a
0: wonderful a good one. question. Yeah. Good job question. Yeah, Laura's
2: <laughs> good. Love <laughs> it. I'm going to ask this. To be
0: good. Um, oh wow. Oh my gosh. Let me take a moment to think about it. Yeah, no rush. <laughs> I realized that A, that I'm deeply passionate about it, that um, mm-hmm. that this stokes my fire like nothing else you know mm-hmm. that if even if there is one person i will still do the class because i i A, d- believe deeply in that person's time and uh i really want to disrupt this thing about numbers in the in the yoga world like how many people all came and you know blah blah blah, blah. so those I, i'm trying to do it in in any way that i can and many ways that i can right? So I'm passionate about the work that I do. I've learned that and not much has helped my attention for this longer time. Um, so that's a good thing. That's good news. And I tell my children this and I tell any person, my, my, my son is uh, applying for college right now. So he's also like, you know, oh, I don't know whether this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. You know, I'm like, fuck that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> who knows? Right. I mean, it's okay to not know. And we are acknowledging that our privilege is there to not know that but also grateful for the opportunities that we have to experiment um so i'm just so grateful that i have have this life that i can do this um that every single time that i teach i'm very emotional Mm -hmm. um it connects to me in in such a visceral deep way and i cry all the time um (laughs) Because I feel like, in, as a survivor, when you have uh, looked at your mortality mm. uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a very tangible way, and then to have overcome, not many people do. And so I feel in many ways that I'm also representing uh, people who have passed and who couldn't do what they wanted to do. Mm. So um, I'm, I am always grateful. Uh, for that and I also I've realized that you know I share my vulnerability very openly um, because I don't want to seem like I'm beyond that mm-hmm. um, so I'm vulnerable and I'm okay with that um, mm-hmm. vulnerability yeah. and that I'm in many ways a badass um, <laughs> realized <Yes>. that. <laughs> Uh, that not many people expect a woman of uh, from a, from the Indian background who is from India, not a person who has grown up here because the cultures are different. Who are people of the diaspora here and people who have grown up in India, that I question um, and not that, that sort of surprises people when they hear me talk because they expect me to be a certain way and I say. Fuck your expectations. I don't care. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's all that. I, I, I surprise myself with what, with, with sometimes what I'm with. Um, my stance and being openly uh, angsty. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you're not openly angsty about some of the stuff that is happening in the world, then there is something missing in 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 your understanding of what's happening. So I question. Um, the present government in India all the time, uh, though I come from a group that is privileged by that because I'm, I'm a Hindu, I'm a practicing Hindu and the present government in India is uh, very pro-Hindu. Um, so um, I, I challenge that over there, as well as I, of course I uh, uh, consider myself a liberal, here progressive liberal, so that too here, you know. So and of course I'm brown, so I have that sort of marginalization as well. So it's um, it's a revelation every time I teach it. I, it has shown me that that I that I that I have it that I have the resilience in me to do this work because it's uh, if anyone who has done this work for a while, I can understand the burnout. I can understand even in many ways the trauma. So I know that I have to resource myself when I grieve. Um, So that my grief is not just out there all the time it's just i've learned i've processed it i've you know i've digested it um so every day i learn something about myself and about somebody else
2: yeah resilience is the word i kept hearing as you talked and just thank you for sharing all that because you you showing up the way you do gives others permission to just keep it real, so thank you. And also, um, this might seem like a left turn, but have you ever considered running for office,
0: <laughs> Lauren? No Lauren? For real. <laughs> oh no, I know you're
2: serious. <laughs> I think I wouldn't be a good person
0: because I, uh, to run, because I, I think I, I would. I have, I have been asked because where I was living before, I, I've been asked a few times whether I would run. And I have great respect for pol- some politicians, not all. People. I was going to
2: say, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, no, I don't think I have this, the, the diplomacy that is needed uh, <laughs> to, to not say, fuck, what the fuck is this? You know, uh, I don't know whether I could yeah. shut my
2: mouth enough <laughs> about it. You know, Understandable. Okay. I just had to ask,
1: you know. I <laughs> <laughs> you know it's great. I also am reminded too in this moment, you know, Lauren and I just talked to Reggie Hubbard. Um, I think it was last week that we were spending time with Reggie. And, you know, I know I saw a graphic come up, I think, on Siana Sherman's profile of you and Reggie. And it's like, yeah, like power team. And so when Lauren brings in the conversation about politics and running for office, I immediately like... See the two of you, you and Reggie, like you know. Oh, Reggie, Reggie,
0: Reggie is just so amazing. When uh, he gave the uh, the keynote, uh, the keynote at the conference, I my mouth was open. I had never heard him speak. I was oh. like, "Who is this person?
1: No. Can I just be with?"
0: like you know can I just listen to him all day he's just amazing I really really enjoyed uh, listening to him
1: yeah he's wonderful um Anjali tell us because we know that you're working on a book project I would love to hear what the book or what you envision the book to be and kind of what your experience is so far in 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 working on this project
0: well um as you know Tristan that it it was uh, it is it's a long time in coming for a person of my background and my identities to have written uh, or to write something in uh, in the yoga world. Um, there are so the book is basically will be about storytelling about just about the yogic tradition of storytelling which has not been tapped into um, and using stories as a conduit of like decolonization um, is what I'm writing on uh, as my research in. And um, so that's where, that's the basic concept of the book. Um, where am I with it? I've just written my proposal and I'm with, with you know on tenterhooks about what, where it's gonna, what's gonna happen with that. Um, And like I said, I I mean, we we are talking about disrupting patriarchy. We're talking about disrupting white supremacy. We're talking about disrupting ableism uh, in the yoga world and just thinking only about yoga as asana because yoga is so much more. Um, Writing has been, again, one of those revelatory experiences for me. I don't know how it has been for you, uh, Tristan, but it has been because A, I find it really, really hard to write. and I'm okay with editing and like I'm quite brutal about like deleting stuff which I was not. I was like, ah, these are my words, you know. But uh, I'm finding it hard. some. There are sometimes I don't know how you work, but I work like like as like as if, as if there's a fire and I just write or then I don't see it and I get disgusted and I'm like, I'm just so done with this. Like, you know, so I know there are people who write like very disciplined blocks of time. Like I work, I don't do that. I have very like Pitta in, in Ayurveda you say right? That, that where you get a burst of energy and I'm like, and then I'm like done. So uh, that's where I am. And, I, and, and as I keep telling, reminding myself it's really not about me writing this work. I really am leaning into those ancestral voices uh, that have not been heard uh, in the yoga world. There have not been many many women, many women of my age, I'm 48 now, uh, uh, doing this work and talking about yoga in a way which is real, which is not saying, oh, yoga is, you know, all the divine and uh, asceticism and, you know, all these esoteric practices of breath and movement and mudra and, you know, rituals, all of that is that there too. There is, I'm not denying that, nor am I negating it, but I'm saying it's, there's
1: also more to it. Um, so yeah, that's where I am. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, of course the book is going to be uh, really important, a really important contribution. Um, I. It is, I mean... It is. I, I I hope you know that. Like we we need this book, Anjali, and we need it from you. You know, um, and you know, uh, mainstream publishing might not recognize that it's needed, but but it's needed. Um, and yeah, I I'm also just like in really deep inquiry around like what publishing is and what the benefits are of working with a publisher when, like. I'm watching people have to do all their marketing publicity themselves anyway. So, like, why, anyways, we that's a whole nother conversation, but that know, is. I'm yeah. still not there yet. But when I get there, I'm sure I'll have thoughts.
0: But uh, yeah, I mean, publishing has been very uh, uh, patriarchal and publishing has been very white supremacist in many ways, upholding oh. capitalism, you know. Um, so, I don't know yet. I, I only believe in connections if I connect with a person. I will work with that person. I Even if that probably, you know, it, maybe that will not make quote unquote business sense. Um, but then we'll, we'll get to it when I come to it. I'm just still working on, I love research. I'm a nerd. So I love researching and I like digging up stuff and making those connections, making things come alive, yeah. you know, uh, because these, these stories, these, uh, these concepts can be very esoteric. It can be like very like you know, a beautiful verse or beautiful text or whatever, and there is beauty to that too. There's rhythm in those chants, for example, uh, and there is used to just chanting. I'm just giving you an example of of how it can be esoteric, but not really applicable. Mm-hmm. Um, so my work is to make it come alive.
1: Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm.
0: tell stories. I mean, story, who doesn't want to listen to stories mm. right. So that, that's how I learned in, uh, in in India. So bringing that tradition back.
2: Yeah. There, I, I want to remember this, so I'm saying it out loud, after we're done recording, there's a publisher I want to point you both to that's sort of a startup situation. So I'll mention- You're Talking them. about Row House? Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Definitely. I mean, I I mean I've
0: been following their work. I think same. that's totally amazing, yep. uh,
2: yeah.
0: totally amazing.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm yeah. looking. I'm looking. Okay, good. I was like, that seems like maybe it would be a good values fit. Yeah, yeah. Um, beyond the book, which is a whole project in of himself, um, whatever form that takes, do you have a vision for your work, like in the next couple of years where you want things to be headed? Or are you just kind of in the present, taking it day by day, letting it become what it wants to become? I'm absolutely
0: I know I I have to say I have a vision, but I don't. Uh, (laughs) Perfect. I don't have a vision. I had no vision that I was going to be doing this two years ago, like Mm -hmm. zero vision. And I have just sort of gone where the path took me, where um, where I feel in my belly that this is the right move to take and the right person to talk to, uh, build relationship with. I've only gone with that. Instinct. Um, not, there has not been like this great plan in my head. I wish I was like that, but I'm so not like that. So I'm, I'm just gonna go with who I am. And um, I think life is too short uh, to go with a big fat plan. Um, maybe it works for some, but it doesn't work for me. So right now I have no vision. I just wanna continue doing what I'm doing and hopefully get in more voices who off marginalized identities to be in this path. Uh, who want to do this work with me, yeah. that's my work, to mm-hmm. shine a light, hold hands, and be with other people.
1: Yeah. Tell us what you have coming up that folks might want to join in on or know about. Um, you know, I know that you're, or you just did, I think, a, a Gita workshop with, with Bejil's, um platform. Um, tell us what's, what's coming up. Well, actually, it's going on. It's a five session program. Um, It's every Monday.
0: And it's with Tejal, who I absolutely adore, um, uh, who's a total change maker. And um, so that's what I'm doing. And what is coming up? Actually, I'm just working in a whole bunch of uh, teacher trainings. I work with Susanna in her both YTT 200 and YTT 300. Um, And of course, my course with yoga and activism at Accessible Yoga. I'm hoping some, it'll come again in uh, 2022, mm-hmm. but I'm really not planning too many things as of this moment. Uh, I want to keep 2022 other than, I mean, I, it's going to be a busy 2022 already, but um, I'm keeping it open and also to, to write. Yeah. Um, and my son is going away to college. So I'm going to see how that feels.
2: Mm. Mm does he know if he's gonna stay close by or go far away or no he's
0: oscillating between i want to get the
2: fuck out of here to like oh my god i don't want to go
0: so he's just going back and forth right now and i'm just letting him be right now
2: (laughs) be in that (laughs) full transition yeah oh so, so many like beautiful, great things happening. And I love that you're just giving yourself all that space. Our friend, Charlie, talks about leaving space for magic to happen. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's a
0: beautiful thing to say. Yes, that's what I want to do.
2: Yeah. yeah, cool.
0: Yeah. Oh.
2: Anything
1: you want to share or say or whatever that you haven't had a chance to share or say or whatever?
0: nothing i didn't it, i didn't feel like an interview at all it felt like a lovely conversation between friends and i'm so uh, happy that you both are doing this uh, and having these conversations and uh, wh- i hope that 2022 is a place of healing for all our past um, you know wounds and uh, connections and relationships that we can build with each other, I think, I think that's where the future lies and how we can build that and sustain those relationships with each other, which are honest, which are brave, which are real, and which we can um, be in service of the moment as it happens. Mm -hmm. I, I, that's, that's my uh, hope.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm hopeful also, also really noticing that it's gonna be a challenging year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. On many, many levels, I'm sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, thank you, Anjali. This was <laughs> really a joy um, to have a conversation with you like this. And and I know that there are lots of things that people are gonna get out of this. I think um, being in service of the moment might need to be the title of this conversation somehow (laughs) like that was just really beautiful so um thank you for everything you've shared and for coming and and showing up and saying all the fucks and (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can't
0: not say that so i'm just like whatever
1: (laughs) no we 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 we're all
0: buried down
2: I was also just going to say, please come back anytime too as the book comes through. Like, yep. you know, anytime you want to chat. Of course, of course. Here. I would
0: love to. I would love to yep.
2: have a wonderful
0: rest of your year and wishing you both every success and joy in 2022.
1: Thank you, Anjali. Thank you. Death, death, death is a penalty. Thanks for listening to this episode of All The Fuck In. If you like what we're doing, we'd love if you'd subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify and leave us a five-star rating and review. This helps other folks find us. You can learn more at alltfinpodcast.com. That's A-L-L-T-F-I-N podcast.com. And on Instagram at alltfinpodcast.com or at Tristan Katz Creative or, and at Lauren K. Roberts.